Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Late Night Football Show with your host, Rohit Singh. That's me. On this show, we talk about some of the most serious, least silly topics from the world of football for your entertainment and enjoyment. Please remember that the show is BYOL. Bring your own laughs, since we don't have the budget for a studio audience. Happy listening! Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Late Night Football. It's been another controversial week for VAR, and not just in England. But since I already did that episode just a few weeks ago, I don't want to regret that so soon. (laughs) So, today's episode focuses on something else entirely. Manchester United have been having a decent run as of late, what with winning games and scoring loads of goals, plus the odd clean sheet here and there as well. United fans haven't had it this good since Ferguson retired, or so it seems. But why is that? Why has it taken 7 years for United to regain some of their mojo from the Fergie days? It sounded like a good topic for a podcast, so for today's episode, we're going to take a look at how Manchester United bungled the Fergie transition and how it could have been avoided. For those of you who are not Manchester United fans, I highly recommend watching this episode so you can relive the comedy of errors committed by the club, which may make you feel a little bit better about the current situation with the club. And for those of you who are, I also highly recommend watching it in the hope that it will keep you grounded about the current situation. So, let's get started. The year is 2013. Manchester United have just won their 20th league title. Sir Alex Ferguson has just delivered his 13th league title for Manchester United in the last 26 years, with 5 games left to play. At a press conference, he stuns the world by announcing he is going to retire at the end of the season. United fans are in shock, opposition fans waste no time in making backhanded compliments, gloating at the club's imminent fall from grace, while the rest of the world awaits to see who will be the next man in the hot seat. From all the names available in the managerial world at that time, United, on Sir Alex Ferguson's advice, pick David Moyes. The reason given is that he is also Scottish, hardworking, honest, shares the same values as Sir Alex, presumably, and he's Scottish. (laughs) To be fair, Moyes did do a good job at Everton, but having won no trophies and a style of play that had no resemblance to the way United played under Ferguson, meant that he was always facing an uphill task, and within nine months of his appointment, he became the first United manager to be sacked since 1986. There were only two managers in that period, but that's not important. (laughs) But while it was partly his fault for the way things unraveled, I believe that the Glazers and the United hierarchy were much more responsible for this mess that they created. Now, I'm going to do a hypothetical scenario over how it was handled actually by United and how I would have handled it. So... Spare with me here on that on that situation. Uh, I'm going to make a few assumptions here. The biggest one being that the Glazers actually have some idea of how to run a football club. This, of course, immediately means that my suggested course of action was probably never going to be followed. 
because we know that the Glazers are more concerned with money than football, and it probably is the first sign of where things went wrong, that we had people in charge of Manchester United who were more concerned with business side than the football side, but I have to make that. The second is that United had the pick and interest of the best managers available at the time. Now, I know that the timelines won't match up with certain managerial availabilities and certain managers weren't interested in the job, but for the purpose of this episode, we'll assume that they all were interested and that they were all available. So, with that said, here's what should have been done, according to my opinion. Firstly, as soon as the Glazers took over in 2005, or at least by 2009, they should have spoken to Ferguson about his retirement. They should have said very firmly, look Fergie, you're a legend at the club and we don't want you to leave, but we know that that day will come at some point. And we want to begin planning for that. And considering how long you've been here, we want you to let us know at least one or even two years before you think you might hang it up. Now what I'm saying is not that Fergie would have a hard stop at a certain time, because even he didn't know he was leaving in 2013, presumably. But knowing that there was some sort of timeline where it could happen would have made it much, much easier. And Fergie would have understood this request because he obviously cared about the club and he wanted to keep it successful even after he left. So I don't envisage too many problems with that particular request. And at the same time, they tell David Gill, who was the CEO of Manchester United at the time, to keep a list of candidates for the director of football position which keeps getting updated every summer based on performance, availability, etc. But there is a list that that is kept there by the club. Now, according to the current timeline of how things unfolded, this would have meant in July 2012, one summer before he actually announced his retirement, or even 2011, but we'll assume it's July 2012, Fergie says, you know what, I might leave next summer, where he goes and tells that to the Glazers. Immediately, the Glazers would then tell David Gill to create a shortlist for the director position based on all the research that he's been doing, and by October, November, you hire a person for that position. The mandate for this person would only be two things up until next summer. Only two things. One, you learn everything that Fergie does in his day-to-day job. Understand the footballing aspects that need to be taken care of. Because at this point, Ferguson was pretty much the CEO of the footballing side of things. I know his official title is manager, but the way he operated that club, everything went through him. So he pretty much was the CEO on the footballing side. And there was so much knowledge there that had to be soaked up and he had all of that in his head. So that had to be take, gotten out of there and, and to someone who was actually going to manage that transition. And two, you draw up a list of managerial candidates to a point based on the style of play, the club culture, all of that. And this would obviously come as he was gaining that knowledge from Ferguson about the club. Slowly, slowly that list would be prepared. By the end of the season, a new manager is appointed. And this director of football becomes the hub point for that transition from Fergie to the new manager. So think of it as a sort of a, you know how you have an hourglass where you have two sides and then there's that little bit of a funnel in the middle. So the director of football will basically be that funnel for information from Ferguson to the new manager. Uh, So what will happen is that the director of football will take on some of the things that Fergie was doing on the recruitment and management side to sort of modernize the club a little bit while the new manager settles into his role and takes on the playing side of things. I know a lot of people might say, ah, Fergie wanted to keep his retirement a secret because of what happened in 2002 when performance levels dropped within the team due to his advance announcement that he was going to retire. But I believe that was a different team and a different decade. I think this team would have wanted to give him a proper send-off even if he was leaving. Plus, 
And that's why I mentioned having the two-year notice, because there would be speculation in the first year of appointing a director of football. But if he stayed on that summer, then I think the speculation would be a little less. And then when he did announce his retirement the following year, it wouldn't be such a big deal anymore. It wouldn't be such a big deal that people wouldn't see it coming. Right? They would think, oh, you know, it's just speculation, right? Obviously, again, this is theory, but that's what I think. Uh, keep in mind as well that when David Moyes came in, he was overwhelmed by the amount of things he had to take care of at the club especially alongside a novice CEO in Ed Woodward. So having a director of football to have that knowledge and be that funnel to ease that transition would have been very, very useful. So keep in mind that what these steps, the advantage of these steps is that if Ferguson changes mind at the end of the season or in the middle, that, oh, you know what, guess what, I'm not going to leave at the end of the year, I think I'm going to stay in the year, it doesn't mean that he would definitely have to go, oh no, we made a decision, but it would just mean that there would be another year for the directors to settle into his role. So it would make that process a lot more easier if he did stick to it because it gives another year, but at the same time, they're prepared that when the time does come that he leaves, they've still got that whole process in place, right? But let's say that Ferguson didn't want a director of football who would technically be above him hierarchically. Now, this is kind of a bit of a cheat because we know that Ferguson had personally recommended Edward were to hire a director of football when he left. So we know that he wanted a position, but but let's say that he didn't want a director of football while he was managing the club. Like he, we didn't want someone who technically would be above him. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable with that. So in that case, I would like to suggest option B. Same thing, summer of 2012, Fergie tells the Glazers, guess what? I may leave at the end of the season. Glazers tell David Gill, okay, let's draw up a list of managerial candidates. And then they speak to them that summer itself. They speak to them that summer that, that he tells them that he's going to retire. Whoever that may be, Guardiola, Klopp, Moyes, even Solskjaer. And they say, look, Fergie's leaving at the end of next season and we want you to replace him. But given that this is such a big job and we're essentially transferring 26 years worth of knowledge, we want you to be his assistant manager for a year to learn everything about the clubs, the players, and then you'll take over the role full time from the following year. And they can still pay him the same salary as they would a manager. United have got the money. That should not be a problem. And again, I know this is controversial. Some of you might be thinking, Pep, Klopp, assistant managers, you're having a laugh, mate. But but this isn't managing a Barcelona side that frequently changes managers. Or Dortmund, who aren't as big a club. No offense. But it's about a team that has had the same manager for 26 years. And there's all these things, as I said, from training schedules to coaching staff to even dietary plans, like even the kitchen, the food that was being prepared, they're all being managed by one person. And it takes time for anyone to learn that. Nobody learns that in a couple of weeks. It takes time. And giving them that one year would be very important. And over the next year, that's what the manager would do. The new manager would learn everything about the players, the club, and he can decide how he wants to proceed with the team, how he wants to take it forward. He knows which players he wants to bring in, which players he wants to keep. All of that, he has one year to get his head, wrap his head around all of that and then move forward. This also has the added benefit that even though the players will know that Fergie is retiring because you've got you know such a big manager as, a, as an assistant manager, but they'll also know that they'll have to keep their levels up in training and in games because the next manager is already watching them. So they need to, the performance levels will not drop because of that. And I don't think Fergie would mind having a fresh set of eyes anyway, because he knew that it was important for the club, and he's always had good tacticians around him even before, so I don't think he would be too mindful of that. Plus, it would show humility on the part of the new manager that he's agreeing to be an assistant manager for a year to learn the ropes and to understand the job, which is an important training management anyway. So I think that would be a good sign as well. 
The only downside to this from option A is that Ferguson wouldn't be able to go back on his decision. Because you can't tell someone like Klopp or, or Guardiola to be assistant manager for a year and then say, you know what, be an be a manager, assistant manager for another year because, you know, Ferguson decided to change his mind. At that point, he cannot change his mind. So, again, that's ultimately for the greater good of the club. But at the same time, you could probably emphasize this to him as well. That, you know, if you hire a director of football, this is what will happen. If you hire an assistant manager, this is what will happen. So, but either way, you know, managing that transition was, was really key. Unfortunately, the Glazers weren't proactive about this. Whatever I've said so far is all about being proactive. It's all about taking that first step yourself. And even though everyone knew that this would be the biggest moment of their time at the club, the post-Ferguson transa- transition was the most important aspect of their ownership that they had to deal with. Right? Because up until that point, it was all hunky-dory. There was one man who was managing everything on the footballing side, pretty much, taking care of the stuff. The club is having success. When he leaves, what happens after that? That was going to be important. And they were very passive about it. And what happened was they had a double whammy of losing Ferguson and David Gill just before that. By the same year, both of them left, who took with them decades of knowledge about the club. Not talking years, we're talking decades here. And what happened is we had two novices in charge. One who had no idea how the club operated on the footballing side, because he was new. And one who had some idea, but he didn't have the contacts or the nows to pull off player recruitment, because most of his focus was on the business side. And that's the first summer was always going to be a disaster. And no matter what, because you had two novices in charge, it was never going to be a success in any in any case. right? It was always going to be a difficult task. I wouldn't say it was a disaster, but it was always going to be a very uphill task for, for them because they had you know bungled their transition so badly. But there was one last trick that could have somewhat saved it. You know, Even after all of this, remember that Ferguson announced the departure with five games to play in the season. Even if United were going to hire David Moyes, they should have hired him and they, they pretty much did hire him, like within a week or two weeks, they pretty much announced his hire. So they could have immediately got into action and hired him and bought out his contract. Like, I mean, I didn't get why he was staying the whole season with Everton. He basically should have been, okay, you're retiring, great, we're going to buy Moyes, we're going to buy out two and a half, we had like two and a half, three months on his contract, just buy it out. And, uh, you know, he immediately joins the club. At least, then he would have five games to see the team play and a couple of months to learn about things at the club. It wasn't ideal. But it would have been something, right? He gets to see, and the players get to, you know, showcase their abilities. He can decide which players he wants to keep, which players he wants to sell. But he gets that, and he gets to learn from Ferguson a little bit. Instead, what they did was they had him join on July 1st. That was the start date of his contract. He comes in. Everyone was very, very relaxed about the whole thing. On the other side, all of, you know, United's title rivals are buying players. All the available targets are disappearing. And... Well, we know what's happened since. He tried to go for Fabregas. That didn't work out. He rejected Thiago and wanted to go for Fellaini. I mean, yeah. Uh, Moyes, of course, isn't entirely blameless in all of this. I mean, he could have been more proactive as well in starting earlier and learning how things work. I mean, he basically fired the entire coaching staff and brought in his own people, which meant losing all the knowledge they carried with them. So now, not only did you have complete uh, zero experience of the club's operations or football operations, at uh, the management, senior management level and then management level, you now also had it at coaching level. There was nobody who understood how things were going. And so again, there was even more instability now behind the scenes. And worst of all, he thought of it as a six-year project. Every time, you know, if you ever talk to Moyes now about does he regret it, he said, no, I don't regret it because I thought I had six years at the club. Like, just because you have a six-year contract, Moyes, it doesn't mean you get six years at the club. You can ask Jose Mourinho. So... <laughs> You know, United are a big club and no big club is going to wait, you know, that long for things to turn. They're not going to wait six years to see if you can turn it around. Even Ferguson didn't have six years. He had three years 
Right? He took six years to win his first title, but within pretty much within the first three years, he was expected to do better than what he was doing. You know, basically the players had given up on him pretty much early on because they saw that his tactics were outdated, his training methods were outdated. So you do get a few chances to make a first impression. If you don't, you don't. Particularly with players who are title winners. And there was no way back from there after that. Uh, and plus, he, as I said before, he wanted Fellaini over Thiago. Uh, need I say more, really? <laughs> this obviously doesn't mean that things would definitely have been great for United. Uh, but I do firmly believe if they had taken a bit of time, if they had taken a bit of in, a bit of introspection, if they've actually been proactive, I think that's the word that I want to use, proactive, being proactive in, in planning this transition, it would have been a much better result than what eventually happened. So there you have it. A recap of what United did during the Fergie transition period and my opinion on how it could have been handled better if the Glazers had a footballing brain, but we know they don't. <laughs> well, anyway, guys, tell me what you thought of this episode and how you think it could have been done differently if you were in charge of that. Definitely take care, guys, and I'll be back again soon with another one. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of Late Night Football. We need your help to grow this channel. So if you've been enjoying the show thus far, please do like and subscribe to this channel and share it with your friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, drinking buddies, fellow football fans, and anybody else you know or don't know. We really appreciate it. Uh, please also follow us on Twitter and Facebook via the links in the description below and spread the word about us. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.